I'm Denise. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm your harbor master of the convention, and I'm over on overtime here. And it says here in my notes, now that you are food sedated, I have a few announcements to make. Those endless announcements, but we will try to keep them, keep them fun. Okay, here's the deal with the centerpieces. We'll keep this real simple. Who is having a birthday, a belly button birthday today, yesterday, or the day before? Who gets, whoever's got the birthday closest to this gets the centerpiece, the little treasure chest in the balloon. So happy birthday to all of you. Alrighty, I've got some other good, good, good deals coming up here. Could I have your attention, please? God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. You know, we're all, we're on a real time budget here, and I'd appreciate your attention. The Bayside Boutique is having a closeout sale this morning. Two dollars. For all the clothing you can put in a bag. My, my, can you run there? We still have t-shirts for sale at our t-shirt table, so we have just a few, so you have a, still a great opportunity to have a, a terrific souvenir of our convention. Convention tapes and literature will be on sale after the closing. After, at closing. Closing. So, again, taste and literature will be on sale after the closing. Make sure you're, you give your convention evaluation to your, your, to, of the program to Violet and collect your ticket from the drawing to be held at the closing. Violet, Violet wants the, the evaluation. She'll give you a drawing ticket. And now I would like, where's Joe? Joe's going to come up here and make a special announcement. See ya? It will be a, by the way, if you turn in your evaluation, you'll get a gift certificate. Okay. You'll get, well, hang on with me. Be patient. If you turn in your evaluation, you will get a ticket, and the prize is a, a gift certificate from Amazon.com. Now we have Joe to make an announcement here for us. Hi, good morning. I'm Joe. I'm supposed to be a reader. I, uh, I wore this shirt so you could see me. Um, here I am. Uh, first of all, thank you. Thanks so much. I want to talk about the 50-50 for one second. We are up to $600 on the 50-50. Um, I'm not going to leave here until we're at $1,000. So... Um, so what I, what I like to do is I like to kind of break it down. Um, we have about we have about 200 people in this room. If every person bought two tickets, we can put this baby to bed. And um, we're gonna I'm gonna come around uh, not during the speaker. And we have these rows of 15. They're 15 tickets for ten dollars. A lot of you have already bought them. 
Uh, I know there's a lot of, there are a lot of generous people in this room, and all this money, is, uh, half of it will go to the inner group, and the other half will go to some lucky person, uh, perhaps sitting here today. The other thing that I want to, um, oh, the region, I'm sorry, the region, region two, that's where we are. Um, and uh, the other thing I want to talk about is I'm going to talk about the tote bags. We have a limited number of tote bags remaining. And, well, it's, it's, well, it's limited. And, and by limited, I mean that if everyone in this room <laughs> bought six tote bags, We could, we could put this baby to bed. All the money, all the money goes to the region. This, this is a fundraiser. It would be so much better if these bags were either given to sponsors or sponsees or someone or, or made use of somewhere than to sit in some garage somewhere in the valley. Like, like the like the Heimovitz garage. It's a generous offer, Joe and David, but it makes no sense. So, if you've budgeted your money all weekend long, and if you now have enough for a two for one, two for one. I mean, what is that right? Two for one sale. Anybody have a tote bag in this room? Anyone? Look at that bag. Look at that bag. That's the, ki that's the kind of bag. That's the kind of bag that will carry off $500 in 50/50 cash. So ladies and gentlemen, if you've budgeted, if you've budgeted your money all weekend and you've got an extra 7 bucks, 2 for 1. 2 for 1. That's 14. When I go into a bond and see anything that's two for one, I've got to buy it, <laughs> even if I don't need it. So, ladies and gentlemen, please, please help out. Please buy a two for one special on the totes on your way out. And now we are going to commence with 50 50. 15 for 10 bucks. Hold your money up high, everybody. Hold it up high. Ori, where's Ori? Ori's going to come around. He's gladly going to take your money. Thank you. Thanks for letting me be of service. Thank you. Thank you. I, I thought you would prefer a different bag this morning than mine. Now it is my pleasure to introduce our speaker, Susan, from the 310 Area Code. Susan? Yay, thank you. Hi everybody, I'm Susan. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi. Um, thank you for asking me to come this morning. Thank you to the committee and Violet. I don't know, I don't know who nominated me, but it is um, such an honor for me to be here today and um, and to be the speaker this morning. Uh, when I came here, 
the last thing I wanted to do was be involved with anything about Overeaters Anonymous. Um, I came here because I was 60 pounds heavier than I am right now, and I couldn't stop eating, and all I wanted to do was lose that weight, and I knew I couldn't stay on a diet past 10 o'clock in the morning, and um, I just was in despair about it. Uh, I didn't know how to stop eating. Um, so that's why I came here. So it wasn't to do any service. It wasn't to meet one other new person. I had a lot of people in my life. Thank you very much, you know. So I just wanted to come and, and lose the weight and then leave. So um, you can see. Oh, that was 19 years ago. So um, I don't keep my word to myself very often, but that's okay because that was a good one. So I'm going to start at the beginning. It's a long time ago. Um, my first recollection of being obsessed with food was when I was four years old. And um, I remember it very vividly. I was offered more food at a barbecue, and um, everybody else was offered more food too, but nobody else wanted any. And I remember thinking, you know, I wanted more. I was four. The grandparents didn't want more. The parents didn't want more. None of the kids wanted more. The shortest person in the room wanted more. And... Um, and I felt embarrassed. And uh, so I didn't have it. And I obsessed about it. It was a hot dog. I obsessed about it all day. Um, and the obsession really kind of kicked in. So when I was six, that's when they started making fun of me. Um, and then I started hating my body. So first I hated my mind. And then at six, the hatred was complete. I hated my body. And... Um, I would stand behind things so that you wouldn't see how fat I was. And, uh, and that made me feel a little safer. I remember, I remember having company coming to our house, and we were in the backyard, and I stood behind the garbage cans. I literally stood behind the garbage cans and kind of, you know, leaned on the, on the top of it so nobody would see who I was. Um, when I was 10, I was put on my first diet. And uh, I shouldn't say my first diet because that diet lasted until, uh, until I came here. So I was put on my, my diet that lasted um, 26 years, um, 27 years. Uh, all I wanted to do was eat. I was uncomfortable in my own body, in my own skin. And the only times that I was really comfortable in life was either eating or when I was by myself, when there was nobody around me. Um, where I grew up didn't feel safe to me. Um, it was a violent house, uh, sexually a little out of control. And so food provided a safe harbor for me um, at the time. Uh, homage to Michael. Thank you. I've mentioned the theme now, harbor. Uh, but... Uh, Probably not in the way it was supposed to be. Um, but that's what food did for me. And food, I think, saved my life when I was a kid. I honest to God, too. Do you believe that? Yeah. I was lonely. I could have died of loneliness. I just could have died of loneliness. I had nobody to talk to. I had not one adult who, who was safe, who wouldn't betray me, who wouldn't tell or tell on tell, whatever. I had nobody. So... I kept everything inside, and then, you know, after a while, for me, you keep everything inside, and 
and you eat so much, and then it kind of blocks everything. And I couldn't even tell you how I was feeling, really. Everything was fine. And, um, you know, I was the good kid, and I smiled a lot, and I told jokes, and I tap danced for everybody, figuratively, figuratively and literally. And um, I found out that was my key to getting people to like me. And if they liked me, maybe they wouldn't be mean to me. Maybe they wouldn't belittle me. Maybe they wouldn't, maybe they would just be nice. Maybe I could distract them and just, and, and just be nice. So I cultivated that. That was, that was really, um, I think, at the, now I think, very, um, very cunning of me to do that, you know, cultivate this whole other personality who wasn't even me, you know, who was Susan, who was, you know, best personality, you know, very popular, all that kind of stuff. And I remember thinking one day, literally walking down the halls in high school and waiting for someone to tap me on my shoulder and say, I know who you really are. Because who I really was was depressed, unhappy, hated myself, uh, thought if I was thin, all my problems would be solved. And, um, and I really believe that. Uh, so it was a hard life. It was a hard, it was like a duplicitous life, you know. Um, because I lived that life out there, and that's why I think that I was so comfortable being alone. I'd come into my room, take off my smile, let my shoulders kind of relax, and just sit and look out the window and be melancholy, you know. Um, that's what I did. Um, I didn't really want to have people around me. I was too nervous. I became, like, really um, an anxious kid. I was just really anxious and nervous, always waiting for some shoe to drop, you know, somewhere along the way. Um, so that's how I lived my life, always. And then uh, I went to college and, and um, discovered other things to get me out of myself, which was good. But, you know, food always. Uh, you know, it's, it's so funny because everybody always talks about, you know, college food, you know, you go away to school, that kind of food, how horrible it is. I couldn't wait to eat every three times a day in that cafeteria. I thought the food was fabulous, you know, and um, I, I think I was the only one, and I love they served massive quantities of starch, and it was great, and I'd be like the first one online for dinner, you know, um, and, uh, and I really liked that. So, you know, kept getting heavier and heavier, and uh, so after college, I uh, moved to New York, and um, I went to law school for it for a year, and uh, I had two roommates, and one of my roommates and I, we always talked about diets, that, that was our thing, and, um, you know, I just bought the latest magazine, you know, Vogue or Madness, whatever those were then, and um, talked about how we were going to, you know, I love that, lose five pounds by tomorrow, you know, and that wasn't, that wasn't quick enough for me. I wanted to lose five pounds by yesterday. You know, and I had all these sort of unreal expectations about, my, you know, myself. When I went on that diet, when I was put on that diet when I was 10, I lost five pounds in five days. Um, that's because I was probably out of my summer environment without my parents around and eating ringdings all day long. Um, and I was 10, so I was a little more active than, uh, than maybe I am now. I don't know. Um, so I always thought that's what I would do. If I would go on a diet, I'd lose a pound a day. And uh, that was kind of what I thought, but it still wasn't fast enough. It still wasn't fast enough. There was nothing fast enough for me. So kind of why bother? And, um, you know, every day would kind of end with, 
whatever obsession I was having about whatever kind of food, I needed to have it. And I needed to have it now because tomorrow I was never going to eat it again. You know, tomorrow that diet would start, and I would never have these fill-in-the-blank, whatever it was, but I needed to have it now. Um, and every day. And those days turn into years. It's kind of amazing. When I look back on my life, and what started at 10, and it continued every day. Once I was made conscious of that, if, if you eat less food, you, you weigh less. Every day I woke up thinking, what diet am I going to be on today? I never had any kind of freedom from that um, until I came here. Uh, so anyway, so one day uh, my roommate comes home. I came home from school, and, and my roommate Nina was there, and she said, I have found out the way to eat everything I want and still lose weight. And just as you're sitting at rapt attention, so was I. And uh, <laughs> she said... She said, I eat whatever I want, and then I make myself throw up. This was 1971. Bulimia. There wasn't a word, bulimia. There wasn't anorexics. There weren't, those things weren't happening then. And, um, and I always think that she invented it because nobody was doing this. I thought it was brilliant. If I could have given her that Nobel Prize right then and there, I would have. I thought this was just genius. And I thought it was genius because, like I said, nobody was doing it, so I didn't know the ramifications of it, you know. And in the beginning, there were no ramifications. You know, I got a free ride for about a year or so um, in that I could eat whatever I want and then purge it. And, um, but I didn't do it a lot. So, you know, I maybe did a couple times a year, you know, on those special days, you know, Thanksgiving, my birthday, things like that. But as I found out, Coming here, I have a progressive disease. So it took seven years to go from a couple of times a year to ten times a day. And, um, and I was a prisoner. I was a prisoner of my home because all I wanted to do was eat. And because I was bulimic, because I could get rid of it, I started eating more. Well, if I can get rid of it, I might as well have this. Oh, and when I have that, then I can have this. It's amazing. And uh, I, when I read, a couple of years ago, I read that the average bulimic binge was 50 to 60,000 calories. And I thought, yeah, I get it. Because it was a free ride, like I said, for a while. Um, but then, I became, it owned me. That's what happened. It owned me. And um, let's see, I've lost some teeth. Because of my bulimia, um, I've had some uh, uh, other episodes, other physical things, you know. And every dentist who looks at my teeth goes, oh, bulimic, you know, um, because all the backs of them, you know, all the, uh, just all kind of washed away. Uh, but at that time, I thought it was great. So did that, and then actually couldn't do that. Did that for about 13 years, and then for some reason I couldn't. I couldn't purge anymore, but I was eating like that now. So I was eating massive quantities of food, and I couldn't stop. And somewhere in there, I stopped smoking. And that really gave me permission, because isn't smoking so bad for you? Wouldn't you rather eat than smoke? You know, so it was like, okay, you can let yourself eat for like two weeks, you know. 
That was, you know, not, not the safest thing for a compulsive overeater to do, but I did it, you know. And then those two weeks went on because I still wanted to smoke, so the two weeks went on and on and on, you know. And I found myself a size 18, I'm not even 5'2", uh, size 18, and the heaviest person I knew. And uh, wherever I went, I was that person in the room. And um, I hated myself. I hated myself, and I would be at home, kind of trapped with my food, and wonder how my friends out there were having a life. How were they doing what they do without being obsessed about what they were going to have for dinner? I didn't understand it. I knew that they were right, and there was something wrong with me. I couldn't even grasp it. I couldn't even grasp going from lunch to dinner without the obsession and then the obsession and giving into it. I didn't get it. And um, it was just a, a hard way to live and a very lonely way to live, you know. Um, the isolation grew and grew and grew. Um, and um, being alone was really what I wanted to do and actually what I needed to do because I needed my food. And I never ate in public, you know. It's so funny because I walked around like, not knowing that I was a size 18, but thinking that if I ate just a little amount in public, maybe you wouldn't notice what I looked like. It's kind of odd in that way, you know, and, um, you know, th that delusion that I had and that denial that it was my little secret that I was a size 18, you know, um, just kind of didn't make sense, but the disease doesn't make sense. So... Um, one day, I was at a, uh, a a wedding shower, and there were about eight of us there, and uh, there was this woman. Everybody was kind of competing. It was a group of, of, of women who we made um, our living by being funny, and um, so you can imagine how competitive this table was. And uh, there were two people who, who weren't participating, me, who felt less than everybody else, who felt like I couldn't participate because everybody else was so much better than I. And this woman sitting next to me who was wearing all white and kind of had like this halo around her, very soft-spoken, very quiet, um, asked the hostess for herbal tea. What? What's the herbal tea? Um, now, here's the thing about this woman. I knew her 10 years before, and she was probably one of the most obnoxious human beings I've ever met. She was full of herself, just bragging about every accomplishment that she had. She was kind of unbearable to be around. And, uh, and here she was, this vision. And um, I called her. She had something that I wanted, and I didn't know what it was, but I called her and kind of said, I, didn't, I couldn't really say, God, what happened to you? You're so nice now. You know, I didn't think that was right. I didn't think that was the way to go. But... Um, you know, I basically said, I want what you have. And it turned out that she was eight years sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, so we talked about that, and, um, and I went to a meeting. I went to uh, an OA meeting. I should back up and just tell you that three years before I went to an OA meeting, I went to five meetings in five days. I bought a big book. The first night I read the big book, highlighted, because that's a habit I have. 
highlighted it, and then when I first, and I didn't understand a word. I, I, he was, it, my book was in Greek. I just didn't understand the letters or uh, nothing. And, um, and the book, when I put the book down, it made me so uncomfortable that I had to throw it out that night. I couldn't have it in my house. And um, don't didn't know why at the time. But um, so after those five meetings, I decided just not for me. Thank you very much. You know, that's serenity prayer. First word is God. No, not for me. Because I still had more eating to do. And, um, you know, we all reach our bottom when we reach our bottom. So after I had this conversation with this woman, I kind of, I was at my bottom. And he kind of crawled into the rooms and... Um, Went to uh, a day meeting. Uh, I wasn't working at the time, so I went to this day meeting in, at the log cabin in West Hollywood, for those of you who know that. And Doris was at the meeting, so was Jean. And, um, and the topic of the meeting was surrender. And all I could think of was, and these people were talking about, oh, surrender's so great, and when I surrendered, my life began, and this was great. And it was like a round robin, so I had to speak. And I just said, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, surrender, defeat, loser. You know, what is, what is good about this? A concept that I, I couldn't grasp at all. Um, but, and the speaker didn't have weight to lose. I mean, she lost like 10 pounds. And um, what was I doing there? Except there was something that she had. She had a peace of mind, and I wanted that. That's what I saw in the woman at the shower, and that's, and that's what I saw at that meeting. And some other people had it, too. They just had a peace about themselves that I had, I had never known without being some sort of chemically-induced days. Um, and I didn't know anybody like that either. Uh, so I went back the next day. And, um, and heard another speaker. And then a couple of days later, it was a big book meeting. And um, so I drove up to the place, and the secretary, or whomever had the keys, wasn't, wasn't there yet, so everybody was standing outside with their big book. And I saw somebody I had worked with. And I thought, I can't go in there. He'll know. <laughs> now, it never occurred to me, being as self-obsessed as I was at the time, what he was doing there <laughs> never occurred to me that, uh, that he was a compulsive reader. No. And I drove away because I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't go in. But um, I had no place else to go, and I knew this was it. Uh, I had a friend who lost 100 pounds here, never gained it back. When we'd go out to eat, he'd eat like a regular human being. He'd have a roll with butter on it in front of me. That was kind of amazing. Um, and uh, he just, he looked great, and I wanted that. So, and he never gained it back. He was the only person I knew who lost weight and never gained it back. Um, so I just kept coming, and I sat in the rooms, and I didn't open my mouth, and I just kind of listened to what everybody said, and it became clear to me that I wanted that serenity actually more than I wanted the food at that point. Um, and I wanted that. And so I, I listened, and I heard that the people who had what I wanted, they all had two things in common. One, they were compulsive overeaters and could not manage their own lives. 
And number two, they had a higher power in their life. Uh, when I came in, and, you know, this, and it says in the big book, you know, these steps are a suggested program of recovery. Well, I love that. Okay, it's just a suggestion. They're not pushing anything on me. There are no rules. So I discounted every step that had the word God or him in it. And so I had a two-step program of recovery. I was, uh, I was a compulsive overeater, and I was happy to tell anybody about it at that point. Those are my two steps. So because um, I was so re- resistant to this, I thought that believing, having a deep faith in a higher power was weak, and I thought it was a crutch. And when I feel strongly about something, boy, do I get very on my high horse about it, as that table over there can tell you. And um, I was like, no, this is, I'm not going to do that. It never occurred to me what I was doing with food. It didn't even occur to me that, my, that food could be a crutch to me and that I was, you know, using the food to live my life. I was using the food to get out of bed in the, day, in the morning, you know. So I started paying attention to that. Um, was very resistant to it, but kind of had to surrender to the idea that that was what got people to that serenity. So um, I got a sponsor. Actually, the first person I asked to sponsor, are there any newcomers here? Oh, good. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Okay, close your ears for this one. Uh, The first person I asked to sponsor me laughed at me. And she said, because they asked at this meeting, who's an available sponsor? She stood up. She was thin. She looked like a normal person. Ha, ha, ha. So so when I asked her, and she said, you can't ask me. You don't know me. You're going to have to tell me things, private things. How could you do that? And she walked away and started laughing. And I went home, and just to show her, I started eating cookies. And uh, I was talking to a friend of mine that night, and uh, she said, oh, how's it going with going to OA? And I said, you know what? It's just not for me. Uh, you know, I asked somebody to be my sponsor kid. She laughed at me. Fuck them. You know, I don't need them. And she said, Susan, you have never kept a commitment to anything in your life. I had been married. <laughs> I thought that was a commitment. Um, didn't keep that. Uh, and uh, you know what? It kind of shamed me into coming back. It really did. You know, that was the healthy shame we talk about. Because um, I thought about it, and she was right. So I came back, and then I did get a sponsor. I was actually, like, fixed up with a sponsor. I couldn't find anybody. I knew that, uh, this guy I knew in AA had a friend who was in AA and OA and knew that she was looking to start sponsoring people. So literally, I met her on the phone first. And then I met her at um, my regular Saturday morning meeting. We'd meet every Saturday and go to coffee after. And I'd call her every morning, and um, she'd give me questions, and I'd write them. And here's where people-pleasing comes in really handy, because I didn't want to disappoint her, so I did every assignment that she gave me. I didn't realize that I was helping myself more than, than her. But, you know, it's like... What, what does it matter to her? What does it matter to me if my sponsees don't do a, a suggested assignment? Does it hurt my, my abstinence? Does it hurt my life? Not one bit. But look what happens if we don't do that kind of stuff. For me, I did it. I got deeper, deeper into the first three steps. We kind of stayed working on that for a while. Um, and I just kind of pretended that I believed in higher power. That's all I could do. I heard this act as if thing. Okay. I'm going to act as if I have God. 
Um, and then on Sunday, so in these first few months on Sundays, I would stay home and I would read the big book or the 12 and 12. I just kind of like immersed myself in the literature because now I understood the book. It was a quick learner. And, um, and I loved it. And I, I remember thinking once, am I going to spend the rest of my Sundays of my life reading this stuff? I didn't realize that it sinks in. You don't have to read it, you know, like every Sunday we read the big book and stuff. But it was a Sunday, and I went into my room to put the book down, and I heard a voice that said, you are not alone, and you never have been. And it wasn't me. There was nobody else in the room. And I just felt like this warmth. And I thought, oh, my God, that's my higher power. That's mine. As you can see. 19 years later, I'm still so moved by it because that was my gift. That was my gift to the life I have today, to the body I have today, to everything I have today, to the serenity that I have today. Still didn't get abstinent. Um, I had to kind of practice this God consciousness. I had no Jody. My sponsor is so sweet. Um, I had no God, God consciousness. I, I, I grew up in a house. Either the word God was maybe bantered about, but nobody did anything about it. Uh, so for me, I had to develop that God muscle. So, you know, I had some morning books that I read. Um, oh, my goodness, it really is that time. Uh, I had books that I read and um, and just kind of worked on that. So it wasn't, I'm going to speak really quickly because I have five minutes and 18 years to get in here. <laughs> so when I was on the third step, I, uh, I thought, how am I physically going to turn my will over to this higher power? I like to do things. And you said, dig a hole that's six inches deep. I could do that. Um, and then one day I was reading the newspaper and I was reading, it was Peanuts. And, um, Charlie Brown is reading a book, Lucy's on a Swing, and he says to her, you know, it takes 365 days for the earth to revolve around the sun. And she said, really? And he said, yeah. She says, are you sure about that? He says, yeah. In the last room, she says, well, that's funny because I thought the world revolved around me. <laughs> and I looked at this. I was so struck by it. And I literally I had a globe on my head, and I gave it to my higher power. And I got abstinent. And that was uh, 18, in October, God willing, be, uh, in my willingness, it'll be 19 years. Um, I wanted to talk about the tools because they're good. Um, I wanted to talk about service because service is such a great tool. You know, they say that, um, you know, service is, is slimming or it keeps you coming back. Or, but it also feels so great, you know, to do service, to be part of, you know. For me, that was the first way that I felt a part of OA was to have a service commitment. My first commitment was a literature commitment. And that's the way I felt a part of. I had to show up and I had to talk to people. Had that commitment before I was even abstinent. Um, and I want to talk about sponsorship, which is my personal favorite thing about this program. I became a human being by being sponsored by sweet, loving, gentle women who treated me with kindness and respect and accepted me no matter what I was saying or what I was doing. This was brand new to me. I never knew about this. And then 
I was able to pass that on to other people. Um, and I believe that's how I came to who I am today, which I think is a pretty nice person. Um, and uh, sponsoring is just amazing to me. You know, I don't tell people what to do. They can do it. They cannot do it. I have nothing invested in what in their abstinence. I know I do it for me, and it sounds really selfish, but that's really the truth. If I have a relationship with them, I have friendship with them, I sing on the cake. I sing. Um, and, and I think it's great. Uh, what else do I want to say about that? Am I done? Two more minutes. Okay. Well, all right. So let's get 17 more years in there. Um, uh, let's see. So uh, the literature I told you about that I absolutely soak up everything and I soak up all the AA literature because I love, you know, my, my heritage. That's my heritage. So I love that. Um, so basically what I want to say about OA in my last two minutes is I've learned here to live with less food. That's the bottom line. I've learned that I'm not going to die if I'm hungry. I've learned that I can eat like a lady and only good things are going to happen for me. And, oh, here's the best part. I've learned to eat like a lady alone when I'm by myself. Isn't that amazing? I can do it. You know, actually today you can see I'm not um, short. Uh, I don't require a lot of food. And today, I don't eat a lot of food. It's a miracle. I'm fine. I love food, as anybody at that table will tell you. Three meals a day, love them. Highlights of my day. And I love to eat. And I know I eat with gusto and whatever. But I don't eat a lot. And I'm, I'm still standing. And I'm so much better for it. I don't have to take blood pressure medicine today. I used to have to, my medicine was just, you know, it was up. And now I don't have to take it. Um, and that's probably the most amazing gift because that's what I came here for. I've gotten so many gifts here and um, in this harbor of recovery. This is my safe harbor, OA. This is my favorite thing on earth is OA. Um, I, just, I just can't even tell you how great this is. And this is what I want to end with. If I can stop compulsively eating so can you. I'm not any different than any of you. I have fears. I have insecurities. I've got all that crap. But if I can do it, you can do it. Thank you. I just want to ask you to stay in your seats for a second. Ida has to do a Empty chair count. I don't know how, if you've got a, if one person at your table, if you have an empty chair at your table, raise your hand. There's one at that table, one over here, two, three, how many? Four, how many? Two, and then we had two here. I'm sorry, just one. Okay, and we had two here. One more time, and you'll just be patient. Now, just, just because it's empty now, if there was somebody in it who ate, don't raise your hand, okay? 
I just really need this for the hotel. Okay, if there, if you had an empty table throughout the meal and you know nobody sat in it and it didn't consume food on its own, raise your hand. <laughs> one take, one chair here. One chair here. How many? One. And we had two here. Okay. So we only had three empty chairs? Very good. One of my favorite, uh, there's two favorite words that I use is thank you. I make a point of using thank you. I would like all of you who have enjoyed this convention or haven't enjoyed this convention to make a real effort. Anybody that's wearing a red ribbon, I want you to tell them how much you appreciated. Volunteerism is a rare thing and it's getting harder and harder for people to do. To value volunteerism is one of the greatest things we can do. Volunteers are far and few between, so please value the volunteers, and I'd also like you to be sure to recognize the, um, the Region 2 board. They're also walking around with ribbons. They are just as much as active as the committee members, and I also would appreciate very much, as you see the hotel staff of this Hilton Hotel, they have done an excellent job. I want you to know behind the scenes they've accommodated every requirement and wish that we have asked for. So I thank you very much if you will be sure to say thank you to every one of those individuals. Ori, I've got to get a chance to ask you to come up here and lead us in the third step prayer. I hate this. Is we all joined up? Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Believe me as a bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them, and bear witness to those I will help. Thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. And I do that we're always keep coming back. It works. Yeah.